Father, we come to you this morning in recognition that we are lost without you. Father, it is your sovereignty in which we take rest in knowing that all things happen according to your will. Lord, you are everything that we will ever need. You satisfy everything we could ever want. Lord, and we just submit to you. We submit to your will this morning as we gather. Lord, I pray that you would move within this place, continue to move, Father. May your presence be felt. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. If you would, please turn with me to Romans 3. We're going to start reading in verse 21. And we're going to read through verse 26. So, in Romans 3.21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophet, prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of His divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be the just and the justifier uh, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that you have given us your supernatural book. Father, this is our bread in which we renew our minds, Father, and learn um, of your nature. And so we thank you for this in your name. Amen. So, it is my pleasure, Mercy Hill, to be with you this morning. I do want to thank, uh, take just a minute and thank you as a church. I want to thank Eric for this opportunity to share with you. There is a weight that comes with the responsibility of sharing the Word of God. And I want you to be aware of that I do not take this lightly. And so, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you all for being willing to support us. Actually, for Eric and Jonas and myself and this whole internship thing. So I just want to thank you as a church for your support. That being said, if you're following along in our Bible reading plan this year, 
At this point, we are going through the book of Revelations. When I was given this Sunday to preach, I must admit that I was not particularly confident in my ability to bring the word on uh, these topics, and since Eric also understood my lack of education in, in uh, apocalyptic literature, he allowed me to choose a different passage. And so today, if you were expecting a sermon on the first or the second beast, or the lamb and the 144,000, the three angels, the harvest of the earth, the plagues, or the bowls of wrath, I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but this morning, uh, you will not hear a message on those. Instead, we are going to look at a couple of the verses uh, in the book of Romans, in the third chapter, uh, and verses 21 through 26. So, um, before we get started, we do have to do a little bit of intro into this section um, of the passage. And so, as we read through this, the things that we are going to talk about today are genuinely the foundation of the gospel. Um, if you are to hear anybody speak of the gospel and not have these principles in it, what you are hearing is not the true gospel. Um, and living in the fallen world in which we currently do, it is now more important than ever for us to understand these principles so that we can, as Eric preached about recently, the red dragon, we can fight him off and his lies. I cannot express the importance to you of understanding this because what we are about to talk about will contradict all that the world will tell you. Many churches will tell you the same thing. That we are good people and all we have to do is do good things and the Lord will reward us when it's our time to go. This is not the case. Actually, if you read in Romans 3, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, no, not, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths and ruin misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the human state. This is our fallen state. Now, so this is part of the importance of what it is we are going to talk about this morning. If somebody were to remove some of these principles that we are going to talk about today, it would be like making chocolate chip cookies or saying you're going to and then removing the chocolate chips and adding raisins and possibly oatmeal. You've done the worst thing you could do to a chocolate chip cookie. You've removed the chocolate chips. 
So, just to set up the importance of what we're going to look at today. So let's read it one more time, and then we'll get into it. So, uh, starting in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to, receive, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It is to show the righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul has spent his first three chapters in Romans um, explaining how God's righteousness is to be upheld and is beginning to transition into the gospel in these several verses. Now, there are some things that I believe come from this little paragraph uh, of Paul that can be helpful um, as a reminder or if it's your first time hearing it. Um, so I want to include these things for sure today. Um, a couple points here. So the first point is that man is unable to make himself righteous. It's kind of negative. The positive would be um, that righteousness comes only from God. Two, justification is by his grace. Three, grace is a gift received through faith. And four, grace's grace ultimate job is to bring glory to God. So, let's start off in my uh, first point. Righteousness comes from God. So, in order to understand this, well, let's, let's read uh, in verses 21 through 23. So, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we want to understand a little bit, first off, just when we talk about righteousness, what we talk about. So righteousness or righteous um, definition, I guess you could say, is morally right, um, morally right or justifiable, virtuous. So God had created, has created, a perfect and righteous law. God is perfect and God is all of righteousness. And so anything uh, that he creates in his law, in his image, will be perfect and, and so. Um, it is the standard by which we are going to be judged. And everybody knows this law. In Romans 2, it says... Uh, 2.15, it says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, to, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day. According to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You see, we all have the law written on our hearts, our conscience. It tells us what the law is. You see, part of God's nature is that he cannot be around unrighteousness. Because he is perfect. He's not allowed to be 
around imperfect beings. Even if you go back um, to the Old Testament, uh, the way in which people would pay for their sins in the Old Testament was through sacrifice. We had to give a blood sacrifice. In Leviticus 3, it says, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, then he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw blood against the sides of the wall. A perfect and righteous offering is required, was required, for our sins, for the sins of man. Because we are sinful by nature, and we are born into this nature, we are unable to make ourselves clean. And a sacrifice was required, a righteous and perfect sacrifice. One that we could not offer up. And so God provided us, provided for us, a righteous sacrifice in Jesus. This brings me to my second point. And that is that justification is through faith in Jesus. Romans 3.24 says, And are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified because Jesus paid the price. He was the final, he was the last righteous sacrifice that ever needed to be made. If you ever get a chance to read Leviticus, it's a very interesting book. You'll find, though, that the temples back in the day were basically what we would consider slaughterhouses today. Sacrifices were required constantly. The sacrifices that require blood sacrifice, I guess, would be the better way to say it. These were required for our sins. Jesus paid that price as a fully righteous being because he was both 100% God and 100% man. There's no argument on that. And he paid that price. Imagine, if you will, you're in a courtroom and you're guilty of your charges and the sentence is life in prison and just as you're about to be pronounced guilty, someone steps in and offers to pay the fine and offer you a new life. The judge hitches the gavel, declares you not guilty on account of your fine being paid. And then you've been set free. This will happen when we die. We will stand before the throne of God and we will be judged according to the law. His perfect and righteous law that we are unable to uphold. And when his gavel hits, he will declare you either guilty or he will declare you innocent. We will either be sentenced to an eternal damnation or we will be set free because we have accepted the gift of grace that has been offered to us.
So I want to take a minute and give you a personal illustration. Eric says I need to add more of these, and so I'm going to do that now. When I was younger, uh, I was in a four-wheel accident, actually multiple, but we'll stick to this one. And when I was in this four-wheel accident, I didn't think I was in the wrong. A van pulled out in front of me on the road, and then I clipped it, and horrible things happened. Now I have a nice metal rod in my leg. Moral of the story, though, was that I got cited and was in trouble with the law around 13 or 14, I think, something like that, 7th grade, 8th grade. And then I had to go to court and meet with Judge Lee. If any of you have ever met with him in court, it is quite an experience. But I was guilty according to the law and was punished according to the law. You see, a just judge must serve justice. And so when I was either 13 or 14, I had already had driving points on my record, which I'm sure my parents were super excited about. The exact same thing will happen in only the differences instead of Judge Lee it will be the creator of the universe and it will be his law and his standard and we've all broken that law and we cannot live up to that standard and we will be punished accordingly unless we are justified through faith in Jesus. So, uh, my third point. Grace is a gift that we receive through faith. Verse 24 and 25 says, And are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he, passed, he had passed over former sins. Jesus was given to us as a, as a sacrifice to extend grace to us. All we have to do is believe. The question then becomes, how do we believe in something or someone that we've never seen? And even on top of that, how do we believe in something that's supernatural? It's even harder to believe. But if we can believe that Jesus actually existed and that he suffered on that cross for our sins, grace can be extended to us. And that will be our fine paid. This grace allows God to keep us from eternal damnation. You see, God is 100% everything of his nature. He cannot allow for injustice in his presence. 
as we covered earlier, a just judge must uphold justice. For our sins, there must be a price. And since Jesus paid it all, then all to him I owe, sin left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. It is now faith in Jesus as our Savior that allows us to be justified. We are not justified by anything we do. There is nothing, and I will repeat, absolutely nothing that we will do to justify ourselves. It doesn't matter who your parents are, how much money you have, how conservative you live, the clothes that you have, how much money you give to charity, nothing matters. None of it. The only thing that matters and that will justify you is the grace that is extended to us through the faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from the grace of God that is given to us as a gift by grace, nothing will save us. So, I want to give you... So then, because faith, right, people, it's... um, it can be very complicated. People try to make it, like, to think about it. But there's a way to sort of simplify it. And I want to do that by giving an illustration. So, um, there's this book written by Charles Spurgeon. The book is called Around the Wicked Gate. It's a really short book, really simple. But the illustration is follows. So, can you get the first one? That one. Super. All right, the illustration is as follows. On a certain highland road, there was a disputed right-of-way. The owner wished to preserve his supremacy and at the same time did not want to inconvenience the public. Hence, an arrangement which occasioned the following incident. Seeing a sweet country girl standing at the gate, a tourist went up to her and offered her a shilling to to, to permit him to pass. No, no, said the child, I must not take anything from you, but you are to say, please allow me to pass, and then you may come through and are welcome. Grace is just like that. There is nothing that we can do. We have to extend and ask for that, and the only way we receive that is through faith. My final point is that grace's ultimate duty or job is to bring glory to God. In verse 26, it says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, this is the entire purpose of God being able to save us. We are unable to save ourselves. God is not only setting the perfect and righteous standard, but He's also created a way to save 
creature that's not able to save itself. God knew we would never be able to live up to his standard. He knew that we were going to be unrighteous creatures. But he also knew that to show his glory, he would have to show his perfect love and his perfect justice. And grace is the tool in which it allows him to do that. He shows us humans a way to be saved in his son Jesus. Because see, we are dead, we're dead to rights, guilty of our sin. There's absolutely no doubt of that. And since we all sin, as shown in verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short, the, uh, short of the glory of God, then we all must die. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the uh, free gift of God is eternal life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. He didn't need to save us, but he chose to. Out of an overflow of love. The grace that is bestowed upon us through faith displays God's righteousness through the upholding of his perfect law, but it brings him glory by saving us from the impossible task of trying to live up to that law. It is by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So, this morning, to close, I want to give you another illustration. The child in danger of fire, it just, she just clings to the fireman and trusts to him alone. She raises no questions about the strength of his limbs to, excuse me, to carry her, or the zeal of his heart to rescue her. But she clings. The heat is terrible and the smoke is blinding, but she clings. And her deliverer quickly bears her to safety. In the same childlike confidence, we cling to Jesus, who can and will bear you out of danger from the flames of sin. You see, this is what our response should be to the gospel. We are to cling to Jesus to save us. My prayer for us at Mercy Hill this morning is that we would each one of us see how desperately we need Jesus. And how there is nothing that we can do, no amount of money we can give to charity, no amount of, I don't know, things that we can wear, no amount of good deeds that we can do that will save us. 
the only thing that will save us is to cling to Jesus through his faith, through faith in him. The saying is to do something like your life depended on it. It's okay. I would ask you to cling to Jesus like your eternity depended on it. Now please hear me. I am not... uh, Men who stand and preach are also just that. And we are men. And we are people and we have sinful natures. And oftentimes we are preaching to ourselves just as much as anything else. I can remember there was a time where um, I used to do a lot of things and I would cling to those things to get me where I thought I needed to go. Sometimes the Lord has to bring all of that down on your head in order for you to remember there's nothing that you will ever do for your own salvation but believe. So, brothers and sisters, once we believe that apart from God, we will be sentenced to eternal damnation, but through faith in Jesus, we are justified. Boom, done, gavel is hit, judge has declared you justified. Supernatural being, supernatural power will happen. And that's where, so this is the interesting part. So this is where sanctification comes in. We talk about the marriage between justification, which is our legal standing, and sanctification as our internal condition. You see, oftentimes, we let our sanctification, or the things that we do, the good things that we do, be our justification, right? I should do these things so that I'm justified. It is quite opposite. It is that justification in knowing that we are legally standing right with God that changes our hearts to make us want to be sanctified. It is a progress. It is something that happens over time, right? That sanctification. Justification is a quick, legal, done. There you are. But that happens, and then we begin to sanctify, right? We work alongside with God, and we want to do good things. All of those things, the, the giving of charity, the being, whatever it is you think is according to the law, we want to do those. Not to sanct- not to justify us, but because we've been justified, we want to do those things. Right? That's the supernatural part. That's the changing of our hearts. Right? Okay. So, worship team. You can come on up.
So, um, here is, I want to leave you um, with several questions today. Pretty simple ones, but hopefully at least, yeah. So, my first question to you as we leave today is are you clinging to Jesus to save you? My second question is are you afraid or what are you afraid to let go of as your justification? What is it that you believe is justifying you? And can you let that go? And cling to Jesus. And finally, is your obedience driving your justification? Or is justification driving your obedience? Is my living morally what's going to save me? Or do I live according to the law and the standard of God because I'm justified? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your son, Jesus, how he has bestowed grace to us. Father, we are in desperate, desperate need of you. Father, we recognize that there's no amount of anything we will ever do that will save us. But it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to your glory alone. We thank you, God, that this is the way that it is. Otherwise, we would be unable to stand before you on that final day of judgment in confidence knowing that we are justified through your Son. I pray for those, Father, if someone has not taken that step, of belief, Father, if somebody is justifying their salvation through the things that they're doing, Lord, I pray that they would realize how desperately they are in need of you and how you are the only way. It's not belief in Christ plus something. There is no plus anything else. It is solely you and you alone. You are the just and the justifier. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.